You are joining the Higher Call podcast, where we answer the call to choose kingdom over culture in our daily lives. Hi guys, welcome to this episode. I'm so happy you've joined us. We are going to get started right off the bat because there are two topics that I've been very eager to talk about. They are mentorship and community. There's a quote by the author C.S. Lewis that says, The next best thing to being wise oneself is to live in a circle of those who are. And this had me thinking, but what if you don't? What if you don't have people around you to get wisdom from? No one to receive support from? And being a conservative, let alone a Christian in any part of the world, there are already challenges to be faced in terms of community building. And one thing we know is that God did not create us to be alone. So let's say you are one of those people dealing with isolation due to your beliefs, due to lack of acceptance because of your stance for certain values. What can you, or I should say we, do to still be a part of a like-minded community, even if it seems like it's not in our reach? And how can we lend ourselves to others who are in the same situation? Someone I know who could speak on this is Marzmi Clark. Marzmi is the founder of Trinity International. Today we will be having her join us to give us some insight from her own personal experiences, to have her share what Trinity is, and to also discuss the importance of mentorship. So I want to welcome Marzmi Clark to the show. Marzmi, thank you so much for being here. I am so excited to have you here, to have you share some of your personal experiences today. Oh, it's my pleasure to be here. It's my first podcast, guys, so... If I'm nervous, that's why. <laughs> it is. This is a such a cool topic, and this is what Trinity is all about. So yes, let's go. Okay, I'm so ready for this. But one thing I want to say is, you say it's your first podcast, but I was on LinkedIn getting connected to Trinity, and then I hopped over to your page, and I was mind blown just looking at your resume. So you're saying you're nervous about a podcast. You are a public speaker. You've been a leader, instructor. You speak six languages. Oh my goodness. And then 25 awards. I just had to give you props on that and share with our audience like your level of expertise because I was just blown away. So we'll get more into your academic experience and your professional experience because there's a lot there, right? But I'd love if you can share some background on who you are and your testimony impacting your personal life. Yeah, thank you for that generous generous compliment. all of those things have just been enabled by God. So I really can't take credit for basically any of those because I knew every step of the way I had to pray and, you know, work hard, but pray hard too. So a little bit of background, like Ivana said, I founded Trinity and I'll get into a little bit of what we do, but in essence, we exist to support conservative Christians who feel isolated on their secular campuses or secularized campuses, right? Because some of our members may be going to religious or Christian schools, but even those spaces are being encroached with ideologies that are not from the faith that they were founded on. So that is our goal. And what makes Trinity special is that we are so diverse without trying, because the thing that unites us is the, the fact that we claim Christ, that we are founded on biblical principles, and that, that's what unites us. That's what we basically mean by conservative. We're trying to conserve what Jesus has founded, what Jesus um, said, what the word of God says are his designs for humanity and for creation. So, right, for background for myself, I'm Filipino-American, born and raised in the Philippines, and had the privilege of choosing the United States of America as my second homeland. So over, above and beyond my pride and allegiance, to where I've come from and where I'm at now, 
is my citizenship and ambassadorship for Christ? So I just want to make that like forefront, you know, because we can get confused about like, what does she mean by conservative? What does she mean by Christian? You know, so you might think that these words speak for themselves, but apparently not like that's I'm learning that in a hard way. So I'm a teacher and mentor at heart, and I'm here to offer myself as an additional resource to the body of Christ, to teachers, to educators, to, to scholars, to students, to our listeners. I love to engage. I love to empower young people, uh, especially those who feel discouraged and dismissed and even demonized in our campuses today. So that's a little bit of background, a little bit about my testimony, I guess, is uh, it's, it's going to be story mode, but I think it will really uh, set the context for where I'm coming from. And if I'm going off topic, yeah, just rein me back in, Ivana. So here we go. Like I mentioned, I'm Filipino-American. I was born in the Philippines to a 15-year-old mother. My mother is 15 years older than wow. me. And that in itself has its own challenges, okay? Uh, it has its own perks too, because now we're basically like sisters. We People look at us and they're confused, like, who's the mom? You know, which is a compliment to her, but <laughs> not so much for me. But we're close in age and she's a strong, she's a, she's a beautiful woman of God. But growing up, there was a verbal, physical, emotional abuse in my home. My father abandoned the family when I was really young. We lived, I remember living in the bathroom of a friend's house. I know that's crazy, but it's just, wow. it's just like, what? And if you've ever seen the, the movie Slumdog Millionaire. I know which movie it is, but I haven't seen that one. Oh, really? Okay. Well, it's an intense movie. Yeah, it was such a big <laughs> Basically, movie. Uh, it was. And when I watched that movie, I thought, oh my gosh, this movie explains like sort of, in a way, my life in the Philippines. This is how I explained what it was like to be super poor in the Philippines. <laughs> like, watch wow. the movie, and it was similar to that, the environment. It was crowded, it was claustrophobic, and it was full of crime. And then I was walking to school one morning when I encountered a group of people huddled around a dead body of a local drug lord. And I was in first grade. So that's that was my environment growing up in the Philippines. You know? wow. And I was told that the only way out of all of this was by doing really well in school. Mm. That was how I could help my family, you know, be the future breadwinner of the family. So I worked really hard. Um, I was president of my class. I got the top grades. I was running the classroom and the, the teacher wasn't there. And so education became really like, a, in my mind, it was the key to, to everything. And that was from, I carried that with me from the Philippines to the United States. And it affected my work ethic. And I had this impression that that the teachers did not have a bias, <laughs> that they were just there to empower students. But that was shattered as I went and kind of uh, graduated from one level educationally to another. Right. So that that's a little bit of my biographical. So as far as my testimony, it's it's a messy one. And I think a lot of people can relate. You know, you could always pick different strands of what you want to highlight but I guess the one that I want to highlight is because my father left me and my family at a, such a young age the primary way that I relate to to God is as a heavenly father mm. and I remember my mom actually telling me you know it's cool I mean she didn't say this in these exact words <laughs> but hey it's okay you know you you may not have an earthly father 
but you have an earthly father. So you can always go to him. You can always have him on your corner. He's always watching over you. He's going to be the one to protect you, to provide for us. He's going to be the one to protect, uh, to preserve you in your future. You know, so there was this mm -hmm. sense that, okay, I have, I, I do have a fa heavenly father. And uh, I carried myself with that knowledge throughout growing up, but I wasn't a strong Christian. And I found that out when God gave me many opportunities to, to realize that I had a really high opinion of my own virtues and my own values. Mm -hmm. And uh, I failed. I failed so many times and it kept smacking me in the face and it affected uh, a lot of the decisions I made as a young adult and as just someone trying to do well, but finding out that, oh, <laughs> my version of what is good is actually really short of what is actually the standard, the godly standard. And what I believe to be what sets me apart is it's not just about Christianity, it's not just about conservatism, like being conservative, you know, in practices and values and habits. Christianity at the very core is relying on God and nothing else and relying solely on his work on the cross that you have been saved. And for me, as someone who is uh, an achiever, a doer, you know, mm -hmm. it was really hard to really stick that in my brain and allow myself to move forward, knowing that I could not do anything. I was panicking, like, what, really? This is, are you, are you for real? Like, is this really it? Are there no like hidden claws? Where's the disclaimer on this? And uh, it wasn't until uh, two to three years ago when God, oh man, I was traumatized by an event with some family who claimed who told me, you know, to my face, I don't think you're a Christian. You're not bearing fruit as a Christian. And I was like, no, I, I was, I was traumatized by this conversation. And it really brought me to a loss of community. It brought me to the end of my understanding of what made me Christian, basically. Mm. But they had a point, like what fruit was I bearing, you know? So I had to really go back to what, what does God, what does my heavenly father say about me? And so when I opened the book of Romans, that's when sound doctrine meant more to me. I was like, this is what they mean by doctrine. This is what they mean by good teaching. This is what they mean by renewing your mind. Because I was believing a lot of lies about myself as a Christian and about myself as a, as a believer. You know, all these terms that was very vague in my mind. That's the point. Just two to three years ago that God really started to impress me with the truth. And that the truth is, in fact, can be found in his word. And I can measure what other people say about me and about my faith and about what Jesus says and about his standard based on what he says. Wow. You mentioned that you kind of understood more about your Christian faith as you got a little older. But going back to when you were a child growing up in the Philippines, how did your life there impact your faith? Yeah. In the Philippines, it's a Roman Catholic country. And so my context there was everyone is religious and everyone is basically Christian. And it was very rare if you were in fact like a Buddhist or if you were an atheist. I had never heard of a person who was an atheist. I had never met anyone who didn't even believe in God. So that was my, my context. And so it made it easier in the sense of, okay, we all agree there is in fact a God, you know, 
But even in that context, uh, so-called Christian nation, we were in the minority as Protestants. We were Baptists, <clears throat> my family uh, in particular. We had a lot of relatives who were Roman Catholic, but for some reason, someone made the decision to, you know, to, to become a Baptist. And so we were Baptist. And, and we lived in the southern part of the Philippines, which is actually Muslim-dominated region. And it, it, it's been wanting to secede from the country for years. And so we were in the minority in a Catholic country, but also we were in a minority of even the region because we were surrounded by, you know, by Muslims. And so I've always been sort of in the minority in my faith, even though it is predominantly, uh, you know, Catholic country. And from the start, it strengthened me in the sense of you are set apart. I didn't know why I was set apart. You know, I didn't understand the differences uh, growing up with all of these different religions. But I was impressed early on that there were certain things that we believed that others didn't believe. And these had something to do with God's character, God's identity, you know, who he is and how we relate to him. So in that way, it was it was strong. But it, it really did contribute a lot to the culture shock that I experienced when I immigrated to the United States when I was 11 years old, because there I was in Washington state. I had no concept of politics. I had no concept of what American culture was like. And I was just, you know, like a, what they would call like a fob, fresh off the boat, even though we arrived by plane, you know. Yeah, yeah. But I, I, was ex I was extremely naive and like I was ignorant of so many things American. And I believe that uh, that was my first exposure to American culture was, oh, wow, you don't believe in God. Oh my gosh, wow. like this is a matter of debate. And I felt immediately alone, like me and my mom. And I couldn't even talk to my mom because, you know, she had her own mom life and taking care of the household. And she, uh, I couldn't really go to her with my homework issues and stuff because that wasn't her thing. So I struggled in the classroom a lot because there were questions in the assignments, things in the books, the textbooks that really challenged my faith and had no one and nowhere to go to. And the, the church, of course, you go to church and you sort of learn to compartmentalize like, oh, okay, I'm learning in my school that there's like this thing, like separation of church and state, whatever that is. And I'm supposed to be a Christian here, but then I'm not supposed to be a Christian there because, you know, that would offend people and we're supposed to be tolerant and stuff. So I learned that from an early age, uh, 11 and on, and it impacted me in the sense of I was silencing myself. Mm. You know, I was I was definitely an expert at self-censorship. I wanted to obviously be liked. I wanted to transition to become an American as much as possible. I didn't want to stand out in that way. And I didn't want to be derided for having conservative viewpoints. Because what I realized and what I noticed was you could be a Christian. It was cool with everyone as long as you weren't a conservative as well. <laughs> right, right. And I was so confused because I, I had other friends who were Christians and they had no problem with the culture. They had no problem with what was going on among our peers who were doing very questionable things and participating mm. in them. And then, you know, the moment I would say something like, eh, 
I would get shut down or people would look at me like I was an alien, you know, like, and I really was an alien at that point because I didn't become an American until, you know, much later, actually at the end of college. So the whole time I was experiencing myself as a foreigner in America, feeling very much like an alien in America. And I, I attributed the aloneness that I felt to, oh, you know, it's because I'm Filipino. Hmm. It's because I'm Filipino. This is why I don't get the American culture. And this is why they don't wow. get me. And that's so interesting because you came to America and America is considered the Christian country, right? So coming in and still feeling, yeah, still feeling like an outcast and not being able to talk about your faith like that. So now that you, at this point, you're in school, what experiences did you have as a Christian that led you to dive into the conservative worldview? There are so many anecdotes I could share, but <laughs> um, I guess I'll pick a few or maybe just a couple. Please stop me because, you know, I have so many. I'm an English major. all right so of course there's the classroom experience of just you know again the textbooks and the curriculum and the the writing prompts the way they are worded and I thought you know what maybe I'm just really sensitive and no one else is winning this out no one seems to be bothered by these so I I should just you know just be quiet just get that 4-0 and you know graduate (laughs) you know you're here to be the next breadwinner of your family uh you're here to to do this and this this is not your battle to fight okay um but there were a couple times when you know in high school for example i had this ap us history teacher or no it was uh, an ap government politics teacher who was so well liked by everybody because he was funny and a jokester but he was also very anti-christian and he made a lot of cracks against Christianity. And a lot of his jokes were about like Christians being white, middle-class, male, rich, really privileged. And I'm sitting there like an immigrant Filipino woman who had, had I have not grown up in privilege. I mean, coming mm-hmm. to America was like winning the lottery. So yes, I am absolutely privileged in the material way and in in material sense in that. And we could talk about the spiritual privilege of being a Christian too, chosen and adopted into Christ's family. But those weren't the things he was talking about, obviously. You know, he's mm-hmm. talking about material privilege and being the oppressors and being the colonizers. And again, I'm sitting there like, what? Mm-hmm. From my understanding, like Jesus Christ was the one who set all the slaves free. You know, all of mm-hmm. us right. were enslaved by sin and he freed us from the one thing that really, really mattered. And of course, we should care about other oppressions. And that's why in college, I actually, I was a human rights activist. I was a women's rights activist. It was all these things that I thought God cared about. And even at one point, this is going to diverge a little bit, but I started to fall for the social justice movement. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. it sounded like Christianity. It's, it sounded like the things that we should care about as Christians. So... That's just in high school. In college, oh, the same things, but intensified where it was not even to the point of just like, haha, jokes. But it's like, we know by research that Christians are evil. You know, <laughs> I have a PhD and you, know, uh, you are all close-minded based on this objective research here by many scholars. And like, how can you, as a freshman student whose language is not even English, 
you know, primary language is not even English. How can you have the gall to raise your hand in a huge lecture mm-hmm. hall and challenge any of that? Yeah. Right. So, man, I guess I'll jump to one of the most pivotal moments in starting Trinity was something that happened to me in a seminar class in graduate school. I was attending the University of Washington in Seattle, and I, I, I actually took a class called Women of Color in Academia, and it was through the Gender, Women, and Sexuality Studies Department. And I took a lot of classes from that because, you know, I care about women, and I care about academia, and I care about uh, the plight of people of color, you know, diversity. I was a diversity studies minor, of all things. I cared about all of this. So... I had a double major in history and English language and literature and diversity studies minor. So I I knew the language that they were using and I took a class called Women of Color in Academia. And I thought, you know what? I'm a woman and I'm a woman of color and I'm in academia. And I, at that point I was on on track to become, you know, to get my PhD and to, to, I, I thought to become a professor. And so I really thought that this community of scholars would be a community of support for me. I wanted to know like-minded people. So I go in there and there's six of us, seven, including the professor. And from the very first day of class, of course, I knew that it was progressive, very liberal, possibly even left and like radically left. Um, But, you know, the first moment of class was tell us your name and tell us, uh, share your your, uh, preferred pronouns, you know, all that. And so every day of class, the professor would ask, tell us your name and your preferred pronouns. And everyone said the same pronouns. And it was as every if you day. expected every, every day for the first two weeks. Oh, my goodness. And I'm thinking, why do we have to keep doing this when it's the same? Like, I, you know, like no one's pronouns have changed. And I think uh, the point of the professor was gender is fluid. So we can't assume that her pronoun has remained her because they, they might have changed to Zer or I don't know I don't know what pronoun that they right. would use and but for me I was like okay I'll just go with it you know cool but then it got to uh, a bashing of you know Christianity of course and and a Christ, uh, bashing of women who are more traditional and religious and pro-life and so I thought I would be shaking from like anxiety and fear Ivana this is not my space you know I'm like Wow, mm-hmm. they're judging, they're criticizing, they're just outright belittling and demeaning these women. And I'm thinking, Lord, do I really need to speak up? Because if I do, you need to give me the strength <laughs> and the, the right words, the right tone, the right facial expression, Lord. Because I know my face and I'm very expressive, you know. <laughs> I don't wanna I don't wanna further alienate myself or offend them um, just by the way I speak or the way I look while I'm speaking. So I would be sitting there for, and this, these were like, this was like a two hour class too. So it was like really oh a lot was said and a lot of shivering and internal struggle, but I would finally speak up. And one time I did, and I said, you know, I just wanna, um, okay. The topic for this week was exclusion, uh, in- inclusion and belonging and exclusion and not belonging. So that was the, the topic of this class. And the, the point was, Women of color in academia experience exclusion and not belonging, you know? <laughs> so I was like, oh, perfect. You know, I was clapping, clapping my hands internally. And I was like, okay, Laura, you're giving me an opportunity here. 
And the professor makes it even more perfect. She says, let's share our experiences of being excluded. And I was like, wow. wow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, Lord, like, here we go. <laughs> so I, I wait until everyone has shared. I'm the last person to go because, well, I'm, I'm one of the last people to go because, you know, I want to listen first and I want to get the tone of everyone, mm-hmm. you know, I don't want to just like jump in and like explode people's minds. The first one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> checking the temperature, which I learned to do growing up, like I always need to check because I can never assume. And I knew uh, everyone was anti-Christian and everyone believed in gender fluidity you know these these, these things mm-hmm. and so I said hey one time I was uh and of course I said this in a very tremulous voice I was really afraid and I was like really couching my word so uh I said one time I was a part of a women's leadership institute for one week and I experienced exclusion there when I spoke up for the pro-life cause because there was a speaker, a political uh, politician woman who came on as a speaker. She was awesome. But she started talking against um, a couple of nuns <laughs> that told her why they believed in life, that they were marching for life. And she belittled, belittled these two women, religious women, in her anecdote to us. And again, remember the context. She was empowering women mm-hmm. to be political leaders, to be active in the community and to represent, you know. And I was thinking, what, like, why would you demean other women? Mm-hmm. We, why would you? So, okay, so we're empowering women, but only certain kinds of women. <laughs> right. So not the religious ones and not definitely not the religious ones who are pro-life. So I raised my hand and I, I said something. I said, hey, guys, I thought that the Institute was empowering women from all backgrounds. and is it the case that you won't support women who are of a different political or a different religious or a different ideological belief? Mm-hmm. And the answer to me was, well, no, th- this is for, we support women who are pro-choice, who are pro-LGBT, who are pro-gay pro, you know, gay marriage at that point. And I was like, okay, okay. And then I just sunk back in my chair and I thought, this is the most disempowering moment <laughs> of my life, which is so funny because the, the the name of the institute was, you know, like women empowerment or women's wow. leadership and empowerment or something like that. Yeah. Right. And I felt really alone, Ivana. Mm-hmm. But uh, a couple of minutes later, another pair of uh, another hand shot up in the air and it was this young woman who was Muslim and she asked the same question as I as I did. <laughs> wow. And and the same answer. And so after that conference, we both chatted and we said, out of all the women here, I feel closest to you. I get you. I get where you're coming from. And that was my takeaway. You know, they don't want to empower you in the progressive left if you are for these causes that I, I was standing up for personally because I, I believe they are after God's heart, you know, but so this is a story within a story, within a story, within a story. So I shared this story of how I was excluded in a, an empowerment, women empowerment Institute in the context of, you know, I was sharing this in that gender, women, and sexuality studies class for again, women of color in academia. And the topic again was exclusion, inclusion, and belonging. It was all within the context. I didn't just randomly say it. 
So after I shared this, or in the middle of me sharing this, one of my classmates got up really noisily from her chair. She scraped the floor with her chair. It was like, you know, one of those like, ah, like in the movies, like, okay, that was really dramatic. She, she left uh, very dramatically as well through the door, slammed it. She did not return for 40 minutes. And we were like getting worried because like, remember it's a two hour <laughs> class. And so yeah. it's really obvious like what happened to this young woman. So she returns and I'm like, oh, good. You know, she's, she's back. She's okay. I hope I didn't her. She's okay. She looked visibly shaken and just agitated. When she came back, she took her chair, faced it away from me, faced her laptop away from me, did not face me for the whole class in the whole quarter. Oh my god. Because she believed I had dehumanized her and others in the in the <laughs> class. Wow. And so that's my experience of oh, all right. Um okay. <laughs> this is what I get for speaking up for women who who do believe there is a god and who do believe that there are moral actions, you know, and mm-hmm. who want to stand up for the most vulnerable. And we're there too, because we we believe that some people categories, some categories of people are oppressed. And we're studying, oh yeah, we've been colonized, we've been oppressed, we've been victimized, and all this victimhood mentality and mm-hmm. ideology. There's a hierarchy of victimhood now that's being right. taught in academia. And and I laid out my cards and I was like, you know, I'm a bad I use that hierarchy to speak up. So, you know, mm-hmm. I, I would say things like as a woman of color who immigrated <laughs> here, like I was like crazy. I was You're checking I was out the this. boxes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was trying to say, hey, I can speak, right? Because I'm credible. Like, look. Mm-hmm. But this other student was saying, hey, I also am a woman of color. I'm also an immigrant. And I have something over and above you. I'm also LGBTQ. So boom, boom. You know, like <laughs> destroyed. So that's that's how we do it now in academia unfortunately that's how we do it that's how we give people voices and i'm not i'm not about that yeah you know you're dealing with this in your classes and kind of a little before this you shared that you almost got into the social justice movement and you kind of saw that <laughs> in in how and we won't go into that because that's another topic too. That's another but, thing. Yeah. yeah, that's a whole other thing. But you, you know, you're taking these classes about women of color and diversity and things like that. In the midst of all this, did you have a mentor? How did you kind of center back? Was this something that God revealed to you on your own, or or did you have someone to kind of help you out with that? Oh, oh my gosh, this is my favorite question because it it really dives into the need. I need that I thought I was alone in this I thought everyone else had a mentor and had it all figured out I'm the oldest of four daughters so I was always the one in a mentoring role so I got used to that and I thought you know this is this is how it is but then the older I got the more the more I needed it and the more aware I was that I needed it you know how to do life how to do this how to do this as a woman how to be a Christian how to respond to this and I looked for mentors I was so hungry for a mentor. Any teacher I had, I had really good relationships with, except for this for this one. This one I really clashed with. And that could be, again, another, definitely a separate story because I wrote my whole master's thesis on that whole experience and my reflections from that class really? and those interactions. I have a whole thesis on, on that. Lots of anecdotes, really cool, really powerful. Also makes me sad to think about because no one should have to go through what I went through. Mm-hmm. No one, mm-hmm. <laughs> but 
a lot of people are going through that. So many young people may also be like me, you know, looking around, like, hmm, paying attention in class. Like, is this professor, is this TA someone who would not shun me if, if I reveal to them who I really am? You know, if I spoke up really from the core of my, my worldview, my beliefs, am I going to be safe with them? So I always was looking for those people. And what I found was no one was safe. As an undergrad, the first and only person that I found was a Korean-American TA I had, who is now you know, a doctor, who was a Christian. And we connected, I think, based on our both being Asian and being Christian. And the only reason I found out she was Christian, because she was really good in the classroom, not alienating anybody, was her signature in her email said something like, in his grace or something. And I was like, okay, I need to follow up with my TA because I think they might be Christian. <laughs> so I did. And we had a six hour conversation after class that day. And she was as excited to figure out that I was also Christian to find another Christian on campus as I was to find her. So that's the level of need and desire and hunger that exists that existed in me. So there it is. There it is. <laughs> okay. But then I would also look at campus ministry leaders, you know, like I was part of Asian American Christian Fellowship. And I would look at the, the leaders and like think, you know what, I should I should invite, I, I mean, I should take them up on their offer. You know how they always like offer like, hey, reach out to me and we'll grab a cup of coffee and we'll get to know you. And I'm like, mm, I should do that, you know, because I really need a mentor. I really need someone to get to get me into like, someone I can tell about what's going on in the classroom, how I'm walking with the Lord hold me accountable, you know, and not just in a large group setting, mm-hmm. but personally know me and what I'm going through. And no, that was a no, that was like a no-go because those leaders were progressive and it was so mm-hmm. disappointing because they were more interested in politics than in Christ. They were more interested in, in earthly oppressions and social justice than in biblical justice and what Christ has already done. and. I was further, I kept just feeling alienated over and over and over again. So I almost stopped going to that one because it was basically like a political propaganda machine each week that I would go and attend the meetings. So my only mentors, Ivana, were online. And my primary one that helped me survive grad school was Ravi Zacharias, who has unfortunately passed away. But he was, he was a mentor to me, all of his amazing you know, itinerant speakers. They were the ones who spoke to the issues I was facing and are facing in the university. And they were the ones who let me know, okay, I'm not the only one. And there is a reasoned and reasonable way of speaking that I just don't have access to. I don't know these things. I'm not an apologist. I'm not a theologian. I'm not a pastor. I should know these things, though, so I can speak intelligently uh, to the people I come in contact with. But for that time that I just needed to resuscitation, he was there. God brought Ravi Zacharias and his ministry to speak to me. And I would listen to him when I was walking to school and when I would be walking out of classes. Wow. So you said that your mentors were found online. And I think a lot of people can relate to that now, now that it's 2020 and we're all separated. (laughs) And there are people who are experiencing what you have experienced, even in the online world. So what led you more towards the conservative values? Mm, Right. So conservatism for 
for me isn't a political thing. I was mm-hmm. I was never really political before. And it's not meant to be that intranacy either. <clears throat> and uh, for me, it means the, the word itself, apart from Trinity, it means someone who is pro-life, you know, someone who is pro-traditional marriage, uh, marriage between one man and one woman. Just, I think just basic things that we learn about in Genesis, the things that God created before the fall of man, the way he designed us to be before we messed it all up. And it doesn't mean either that we haven't shifted in history, throughout history, so that the words are really muddled and the concepts are really contested. But it, it doesn't mean that we should give up on them. Mm-hmm. We're, we're here for a reason. You know, as long as there are Christians on this world who know what God's word says about these things, I think we should try to live them out. And I think wherever he assigns us, we should influence and impact these spaces that we're at, whether that's in academia, whether that's in our workplaces, whether that's in our home, our neighborhood, anywhere we're at should be changed because of who we are. You know, I think churches could definitely do a better job of, but talking about these basic issues of right and wrong, the Bible has a lot to say about basic issues of right and wrong. And if that's what you mean by politics, yes, we should absolutely talk about politics. We should not shy away from that. Otherwise we're going to be like, what, what is it? How are we going to be salt and light? How are we going to preserve something from corruption if we don't even know what the uncorrupted state is supposed to be or look like. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I definitely agree on that, which is why I was so happy to find Trinity because I noticed that Trinity was focused on all these things that you just said. So if you can explain what Trinity is, what it does, and the impact that you want to make for people. Yeah, this is a great opportunity because there are so many organizations, Christian organizations out there that already exist, just focusing on, you know, education, just focusing on political things. And, but you could say that Trinity tries to straddle the spaces that academia has taken away or tried to wrestle away from Christ's domain. Every domain on earth and in all of the universe, the spaces that we can't even see with our eyeballs <laughs> or with our telescopes or whatever, are gods. And so what I see Trinity trying to do, because we're so young and we're so new, we're so limited in so many ways right now, but I do have faith that, you know, if we keep clinging to what God's assignment is for Trinity, we will accomplish our mission. And for me, as its current leader, and the way I'm envisioning it is an organization that understands what students are going through in the classroom. We are not ignorant of those things, and we want to help our students fight, help them be equipped, and help them not just survive, but flourish and thrive. Because I, I noticed that we're always on the defensive. You know, our youth groups on, in churches just sing songs. Oh, that's not a problem. They eat mm-hmm. pizza, not a problem. They, they do social activities. They do Bible studies. Those are all amazing. That's facilitating community. But I think we could definitely use more focus on what will happen to these young people once they are off of our domain, once they're out of their parents' homes, once they're not in their local churches anymore, once they're on campuses that are hungry to eat them alive. Are we equipping our students? No. So I'm hoping that one of the impacts that we can make is to just come alongside one other person, one other young student in a classroom or on campus or in the residence hall was feeling like 
am I the only one? Because I'm really like, what? Am I the one who's weird? Has the world gone <laughs> right. insane? You know, like, what is the problem with me? Because my teachers are saying this, my classmates are saying this. No one is arguing against any of these claims. And what I've been taught in mm-hmm. class, in Sunday school, in youth group. So how could I ever defend my faith? Am I really alone? And is Christianity really just myth? And should I just keep my faith to myself then? Because it's embarrassing. Should I be embarrassed to be Christian? <laughs> you, know? Mm-hmm. you know, everything that you mentioned is so important because there are actual issues going on versus what many youth groups are doing. They, they just want to build like a social club. But what you're doing with Trinity is actually helping students, like you said, going alongside them in the classroom or helping them deal with issues, even just stepping outside their door. And and that's what I see Trinity doing is focusing on helping not only them academically, helping them, you know, in a professional manner, you know, as a Christian, but also helping them focus on self-evaluation and lining themselves up with the Bible. One way you guys do that is through videos discussing apologetics and helping kind of explain topics to help us in our lives understand the Bible a little more. But you also have a mentorship program. So can you explain a little more, you know, what the focus is there and how you think it's different from other programs that are out there? Mm. Wow. I'm so pleased that you are a part of this program because we realized pretty early on that, oh, you know what? Students, yes, students are our focus. But Recent grads, recent grads like you, also could use Trinity. We would love to also um, come alongside you. The, the three values that we try to be known for and we try to have our mentors remember how to conduct their sessions and also our mentees come away with thinking, yes, they did that. Yes, they definitely did hit these three points. Is The first one is biblical. The second is prayerful. And the third is impactful. And with biblical, that is the foundation, right? We, we're using a resource that's free, online, easily accessible, easily available to anyone. And it's through Bible Study Fellowship or BSF. And I am a super huge fan of this organization because they are, oh my gosh, just really good scholarship, just really good, really solid content. And it sustains you for the whole year, Ivana. What we've been using is the daily dives that are available online to non-members. But if anyone of our mentees like you, if you're thinking, wow, this is good stuff and I want more of it, I would definitely recommend checking out the full BSF experience because it will be, for me, it was life-saving. Because when I said earlier that God taught me to dive deep and to really examine his word and what it says, that was through BSF. That organization helped me see that Bible study is not boring, which was my actual mindset before. And I was thinking, I wish BSF would create like chapters on campuses around the world, in our universities, Mm -hmm. in our high schools, because this, this is what our students need. They don't really need the pizza parties as much, but solid teaching is better throughout the week. So that's why we kind of ground ourselves in Trinity. If our students know what the Bible says and not be ignorant scripturally, I think they can examine things that are said and fed to them in the classroom and say, you know what, that's there's something off about that. And this is how I'm going to explain that to myself to affirm my faith um, using the mm-hmm. biblical 
lens of scripture. It's not just that there's something off about it because heebie-jeebie feelings that they have emanated from their own emotions. It's because the Holy Spirit has put a lens over their eyeballs and their spirit and making them sensitive to, to know and to discern what is true and what is false. And there's a very clear line. Despite what our culture says about black and white being outdated and being close-minded, there is such a thing as black and white. And what, what our culture wants us to do is wallow in the mire of the gray zone. But our goal is not to blur the lines of where the black and white starts and ends. Okay, it is in the, the Bible shows us very clearly. But anyways, I, I really think that once our students have a biblical lens and they are equipped with that, they can go anywhere and be told anything and encounter anything that they read, anything that they see and be able to be equipped to take their stand. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, that point is so important too. And when you think of, of mentorship, people make it very complicated, but what I love what Trinity is doing is building the foundation, like you said. Not only are you creating community with others, but you're also helping these students or these individuals learn how to discern for themselves. And in a way, if they're able to do that when they're out in the classroom or just out in the world, they can be a mentor yes. for someone else based off of what they learn. And that's just the gift that keeps for on sure. giving. And that's what I've seen Trinity do. So... I'm so impressed on how God has used you and what he's continuing to do through you. And I'm just so excited that you do exist because it's, you know, it's not all is lost and they are out there. Other conservative Christian students are out there and they're just waiting to, to find a mentor, a Christian mentor who could invest in them. And so we want to find them. Yes, definitely. Yeah, we want others to hear this, to get involved. So you can continue to hear more from Merzami and her team over at Trinity. You can check them out on their website, their Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. And, you know, get involved. If you have any questions about anything, they're awesome. And I know that they're going to be there and be willing to guide and assist you. And I'll go ahead and link all the information on our account as well. So thank awesome. you so much, Merzami. Thanks, Ivana. Make sure to follow us at Higher Call Podcast on Instagram, YouTube, and Apple Podcasts. Thank you for listening.